everybody, and welcome to episode 56 of the Diamond Duo Podcast. I'm Tony Puglisi, joined, as always, by my co-host and co-producer Tom Bauer, here to bring you the latest in MLB action from spring training, from trades and transactions, to everything you could think of, of the past, the present, and the news to come. This episode of the Diamond Duo Broadcast is brought to you by Italian Breakfast. What is that per se? It's what Yahoo Sports elected to nickname Vinny Pasquantino. Why? I don't know, but I f***ing love it. Cussing right out the gate, because for Puglisi's Paisan, I'll cuss however often I'd like. You know what? We're probably gonna need a Puglisi's Paisan bet under that too. Under the intro, under the cuss. No. So, <laughs> have fun with that, Tom. <laughs> no, I will not have fun with that. <laughs> Oh, oh, come on. I, I I laid that one up for you. I could have chosen one of three intros, and I landed on that one. I mean, listen, you and me both love a side of Pasquatch in the morning, and with our breakfast, too, but you know what? <sighs> That's going to end up being a blooper. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Considering what we were discussing beforehand. Yeah, I, I would rather not repeat any of that information that we were discussing beforehand. <laughs> Let's just say it has to do with bots on Twitter. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Diamond Duo podcast. Hope you're enjoying your weeks just as much as we're enjoying ours. Ah, <laughs> uh, God, that was funny, though. They nicknamed him Italian Breakfast. That is true. I don't know what even prompted that. I was doing a mock draft with my buddy recently, and I looked. There was like a little blue note on Pasquantino's name. I'm like, oh, it's probably for the home run he hit in spring training because he's amazing and he's going to hit 40 home runs. And it said, it said something like Italian Breakfast Feasts on Cactus League. Like, if that's actually his name, oh my God, I want to meet him and call him that. He's probably going to hate me, but I think it's going to be funny. <laughs> Don't call him Italian breakfast if you meet him, please, for the love of God. I'll get it on video, but I might laugh, but I think you'll be thoroughly disappointed. Oh, I will be, but I, if anything, I'll lead with Paisan, and then we'll work, we'll gradually work our way to Italian breakfast. I told this to Tom, and I told this to our good friend Nicolette. If I end up drafting Pasquantino in any of my fantasy baseball leagues this year... I'm naming my team Italian Breakfast. That's a non-negotiable. <laughs> I hope you know, just in spite, I might have to draft Vinny Pasquantino ahead of you. I swear to God. I swear to God. If you do that, <laughs> I'm going gonna... to... I'm not... I'm going to cuss every second in the first <laughs> half just to make your life a living hell. <laughs> I'm going to hold him hostage. It's going to be like a ransom video. Like, I will give you Vinny Pasquantino if you send me $10,000. See, here's the thing. You took Matt Olson from me last year. You can't take both of my favorite first basemen in baseball two years in a row. That's basically punishable by that's punishable by law. Listen, I could do whatever the hell I want. I'm a devious person. And I'll probably be on the f***ing jury for it because, surprise, guys, I have jury duty tomorrow. Enough incriminating evidence aside, this is episode 56 <laughs> of the Diamond Duo podcast, and we've got a treat for y'all tonight at least that's when we're recording this at 9 39 at night to be precise on february the 26th of this year 2023 what we've got for you is a little bit of a preview of what's kind of happened in spring training with the new rules and all that stuff we're returning the how after they scale from last week and last year this time we're going to be focusing on the National League. That'll be the later half of this episode. And yeah, that's pretty much the main gist of the show, Tony. I'm pretty excited to talk about baseball. The rules have gotten people, um, I don't know, about stoked 
for the regular season because there's been some controversy <laughs> already, which we're, of course, we're going to bring up because, of course, why wouldn't we on this podcast? But it's just going to make things much more interesting and much more of an adjustment for every single person involved in the sport of baseball, whether you're playing it, managing it, or you're just a fan of the game. It's definitely... I think divisive is the word. We'll obviously dig more into it as the show goes on. But like Tom said, we reached one full day of spring training games before one of these rules caused a bit of an uproar. I don't want to say it was an outright controversy, but uh, yeah, not the best look. Not the best look, especially down the stretch if we use this rule in the playoffs. But before I give too much away, and before we get more into that, one more disclaimer, actually. Go follow us on social media. Shameless plug. Except it's not shameless at all. At Pod on Twitter, the Dimaduo Podcast on Instagram, graphics, show updates, you know the deal. Go give us a follow. Save us from those disgusting Twitter bots that sent Tom and I down a rabbit hole earlier. <laughs> it's a rabbit God hole damn. that you might be hearing in the blooper reel for this upcoming year. <laughs> I'm just going to point it out right now. You won't know exactly what it is because we don't say specifically <laughs> it's from episode 56. But, oh boy, you will definitely hear something from that, because we have it recorded when we noticed it. Y'all are gonna love next September when Tom and I drop a f***ing 30-minute blooper reel from all the crap we've compiled. I still gotta format mine into season one, season two, or like season, quote-unquote, like year one, year two, rather, because I genuinely think organizing them all into a year two folder is gonna take forever. Once I already knew I had a blooper reel for this year made... I instantly knew the next episode, I am starting a new folder because there's no way I'm going to be sort, be able to sort through all this. We've already got, I've already got more bloopers saved, I think, than last year. And we're not even, ha- we didn't even right. start the regular season yet. So it's going to be a <laughs> bitch and a half to make, but oh boy, it'll probably be worth it. Just wait till we get back to weekly uploads. God, either way, before we go on another blooper rant, let's get into the first segment of the show, which like always, we're going to breeze through some trades and transactions. And I really do mean breeze this time. We don't have that many and only one is of any real significance on a grand scale. They're all significant, obviously. If, if they weren't, we wouldn't be mentioning them. But when we get to the final uh, transaction that went down today, actually. You'll, uh, you'll understand what we mean. Tom and I counted out before, there are 11 deals. So, Tom, if anything, you want to take the first six, I'll take the final five. I'm offering this to you for one specific reason, because you have added intel about the second bullet point on this rundown. <laughs> of course I do. So, yeah, I, I, I guess we can get right into that. The first transaction we have, we actually broke in the last episode. I believe Tony kept it in the episode, and it was huge news at the time, mainly because it was one of the bigger transactions somehow of last episode, that last period, is Andrew Schaefen going to the Arizona Diamondbacks for one year at $5.5 million with a club option for 2024, the hefty lefty getting to go down to the desert. And that is a good pickup for the Diamondbacks, who are, of course, as many of us are saying, are going to be on the rise this year. Now, about that aforementioned second bullet point, I would like to point out this is the most asinine deal I've probably seen in terms of complexity <laughs> in the offseason for the sheer magnitude of the deal that is being signed. You'll know what I mean in about five seconds from now, because the player with this deal goes to Michael Waka. Four years, $26 million guaranteed. Now here's where all the kickers come in. This is 10 lines of notes in my phone, I would like to point out, nearly taking up my entire screen. And I hope this makes sense, because 
I hope it does. There's a signing bonus of $3.5 million. He gets $4 million this year in terms of a salary. There are club options in this deal that must be picked up simultaneously. For 2024, it is $16 million. 2025, it is also $16 million. If those club options are declined, he's got player options for $6.5 million in 2024. 2025 and 2026 each carry a player option of six million and they all must be exercised at one time that was a mouthful for michael waka mets legend yeah yeah moving on cole hamels oh great this is another padres deal except he's on the minor league deal with the san diego padres two million dollars he gets if he cracks the roster he's just probably looking for the accolades and looking to hopefully win one more world series to add to his resume, but we'll see if he can crack that rotation. It's going to be very difficult to do in Slam Diego. Alex Reyes, he's not going to be blowing games for the Cardinals anymore. He's going to be blowing them for the Dodgers. One year, $1.1 million with a club option for 2024. Keep in mind, by the way, he was an all-star in 2021. I'm forgetting this, Tony. He did not pitch last year. I'm assuming he was hurt or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, but he, he hurt, did yeah. not pitch at all last year he had 29 saves when he did pitch for those cardinals a 10 and 8 record jesus 324 era yes tony you want to know something funny i hate to cut you off the last pitch he threw for the cardinals was the walk-off homer chris taylor hit in the wild card game so he's been helping the dodgers since 2021 i just found that funny and now he's going to get paid by them divine intervention everyone another la deal this time for the other team in la the angels matt moore is getting a one-year 7.55 million dollar deal with them assumedly to come out of the bullpen which he excelled in last year for whichever teams he was with i want to say it's the phillies but i could be completely wrong he's bounced around the league so many times in the past few years that i've lost completely i've lost completely track I've completely lost track of where Matt Moore has played with. Honestly, he might be an Edwin Jackson-esque trivia question one day that we might have to ask ourselves on the show. And the final set of deals I've got for y'all before I switch the reins over to Tony. Switch the reins, yeah, that definitely makes sense. The Phillies extended Jose Alvarado and Sir Anthony Dominguez to lock down that bullpen for a few more years. Alvarado gets a three-year extension with an option for 2026. Sir Anthony Dominguez gets a two-year, $7.25 million guaranteed extension with the Phillies. And I'm going to pick it right up with a minor move for the Texas Rangers. Actually, maybe not minor. He could be an everyday guy. Robbie Grossman is heading down to the Lone Star State. He's got a one-year, $2 million deal. He's also got incentives on that contract that could raise it to $5 million. Capable outfield bat, very good defensively for the Tigers and Braves last year, particularly with the Braves, kind of revived his bat over there. Let's see if he can carry that into Texas. Next deal I've got for you is Donovan Solano going to the Twins for one year, $2 million guaranteed. Gonna be honest, I love you, Donnie Barrels. I forgot you existed last year. Next up, is Elvis Andrews actually re-signing with the Chicago White Sox for one year, $3 million. Honestly, probably my favorite move the White Sox have made so far this offseason. Granted, not saying a lot. They haven't done much. But when you compare it to them overpaying Benintendi or paying a guy like Mike Clevenger, I don't know, $3 million for a guy who had a great second half for the White Sox last year? I like it. He's not great, but he'll be a good placeholder, unlike IKF. Uh, hey, speaking of the Yankees, former Yankees legend Luke Voigt 
hate to see him here. He's signed a minor league deal with the Milwaukee Brewers. Home run king back in 2020, bogged down by injuries ever since then. Just something you hate to see for such a likable guy with such great talent. Now, the last deal. This will actually take us into our one and only discussion for this little trades and transactions talk because remember when I said the last deal here would obviously be far and away the most significant one? Well, just this afternoon, San Diego's favorite punchable face, as as someone we know would say, uh, Manny Machado. We were actually going to report on this earlier as he plans to opt out of his contract with the Padres. Well, now he doesn't have a contract to opt out of because this new contract he's been given is an 11-year, $350 million behemoth of a contract with a full no-trade clause, no opt-outs whatsoever, and it makes him the first athlete to ever sign two deals north of $300 million. No Carlos Correa doesn't count, he didn't sign them. (laughs) So, yeah, Tom, any Yankees fan who was kind of hopeful that, you know, maybe after this season, the Yankees would spend big to get Manny Machado and pinstripes long-term, myself included, yeah, their dreams just got curb-stomped into the night by A.J. Preller. I don't know. I don't know if you share the same sentiments, but yeah, my dreams are crushed. Well, my initial reaction was one of your initial reactions. If you're Nolan Arenado's agent, congratulations, you're officially on a hit list. Uh, because keep in mind, <laughs> he opted in to the rest of his deal not too long ago, and that is significantly less than this deal that Manny Ooh. is getting. So, Nolan, oof. Listen, you don't fumble the bag that many times, and you just don't fumble really at all because you're a platinum glover, but oh man, your Asian did you a disservice. Oof. That being said, yes, my dreams of having a star third baseman being signed to the New York Yankees next offseason are shattered. However, Mets fans' dreams of having Manny Machado there are also shattered, and I honestly feel like Manny Machado probably would have signed with the Mets more than the Yankees for whatever reason. That's the tingling feeling I've got in my head for whatever reason. So we can throw that out the window. Up next is Shohei Otani. But he already mm-hmm. dissed the East Coast once. I'll probably diss the East Coast again. But let's focus on Manny before we think about the future a little bit. You mentioned it, a full no trade and no opt out. Dear God. I just got to commend San Diego for one, being committed to Manny this much to where you're not even going to put in an opt-out to that deal. It might come to bite you in the ass in like seven years or so, but you're getting a future Hall of Fame third baseman, God forbid, if everything goes right. He's the leader of that franchise, even though he said he kind of wasn't going to be the leader two weeks ago when he said he was going to opt out, but that's besides the point. He gets the money that he deserves for everything he's done for San Diego And they have invested heavily in this team, and they're going to continue to invest. I just don't know how much more, and I don't know who's even funding this team, because dear God (laughs) in heaven, whoever, this person might be richer than Steve Cohen for all we know, based on how much money they've just shelled out in the past few off-seasons alone to bring in guys, extend guys, and they still have Juan Soto on the books. They still are going to make a push probably for Shohei Otani, for Christ's sake. They just gave you Darvish a contract we talked about in the last episode. There's definitely a few other guys that they're going to have to sign down the line that I'm probably forgetting. Now, this is a meaty contract, though. A no trade, that's expected. No opt-outs, that's kind of scary. 
Um, but I guess now you just know he's fully committed to San Diego. There's a reason why he hadn't opt out in the original deal. Now he's just like, you know what? I've seen the blueprint. We made the NLCS last year. Let's ride the high. Let's sign the steal. Everybody will be happy at the end of the day. So overall, a fantastic deal. More so, I'd say, for Manny than San Diego. But if they're going to spend this money buck wildly, then I can't say it's a bad deal for them because clearly they're invested in winning and I can never fault a team for doing that. Yeah, I'm honestly going to give the Padres a lot of the credit for this one. I love the fact that, Tom, like, rewind your brain a little bit to 2019. I know, like, when COVID hit, it, like, extended time, like, five years, but so 2019 feels like an eternity ago. But you remember that Bryce Harper, Manny Machado sweepstakes? Like, oh, man, where are they going to sign? And Manny broke first with a $300 million deal to the Padres with like a like 90 losses. I remember, I think we were doing batter's box at the time. Nobody thought that was the good, the right decision for the Padres. We thought, yeah, they've got good, a good farm system. They have interesting pieces, but Manny's just going to waste away. Yeah, Manny came a few games from a World Series in year, what, four of the deal? And now he has 11 more. This is honestly an incredible dedication by the Padres to winning. This isn't just, hey, we're going to overpay a superstar and then just hold him hostage for the entirety of his contract. They were determined to put a winning team around him, and I've honestly got to commend them for it. Like, And especially Manny, who's grown tremendously in his time in San Diego, back from the guy who hucked a bat at Josh Donaldson when he was back in the, uh, the AL East to a bonafide leader in the clubhouse in San Diego, I gotta give him a ton of credit. Like, I honestly wouldn't blame the Padres if they straight up put the C on Machado. He's gonna be there long term. He's probably one of the more mature guys in that lineup, uh, looking squarely at Tatis. But still, uh, speaking of which, another guy, they're paying big money. So yeah, their payroll is astronomically high. They're paying, like you said, Darvish, Musgrove, Tatis. I don't know what they're gonna do with guys, with some of the younger guys. Like Juan Soto, I imagine they let him walk unless they pull more money out of this goddamn black hole they're finding it from. Like, I don't even have much to add about this. I just really want to commend the Padres for spending to win. Because when people point at Steve Cohen and say, oh, it's not fair, he's paying for all his players, his championships. Well, A, that's how you win. And B, this move should show it's not just him. Smart owners invest in their product. And the more you invest in that product, the more people will care about your product. Like, before 2015, before Preller, no one gave a shit about the Padres. Now they have that Slam Diego moniker, and I love that for them. Yes, and the one thing that I forgot to mention that you started to mention about Manny is that leadership. Like, he's that mm -hmm. face of the franchise type of guy. And you mentioned the maturity. He is that honest voice in the locker room that every team absolutely needs because he is not afraid to call out the BS that happens. You got to remember, now, it's very easy to be critical of Fernando Tatis Jr., but he was one of the first people to come out and say, listen, we're not going to tolerate this. We know he messed up. He's going to have to earn our affections back. And you can only hope he's building towards that but that's what you expect out of a leader, not the guy who's going to back down cowardly, such as Kevin Durant of the Brooklyn Nets. I know that's basketball, but that still has a special place in my heart where there's kind of like a dark hole going on. But my Brooklyn Nets fandom doesn't matter because it's going to be gone until they actually develop a winning team again. <laughs> it's just something that every locker room needs, and Manny Machado brings that to San Diego. So all in all, fantastic deal. And by the way, we forget forgot to mention this. This kicks in today, the day he signed the deal. Mm -hmm. They are not letting any years play out. It starts right now. 
So he's maximizing his value at this very moment. Now, speaking of maximizing value, why don't we say we look at what this means for the future of MLB free agency? Because now Machado endeavors are locked up. There's one huge slam dunk free agent in next year's pool, at least from a batter's perspective. The pitchers will get to, and they're stacked. But this is going to probably, honestly, positively impact the guys who are there because chances are teams are going to be more desperate to fill holes, and these guys might get a little bit more money now, especially one of them I'm looking at squarely is Matt Chapman because he is going to be a free agent, and he's probably your biggest third baseman oh, yeah. out there. You've also got Teoscar Hernandez, who's going to be another one, Ian Happ. The wild card, a 24-year-old Korean outfielder, Jung-Hoo Lee, he might be a free agent. You don't know. In the KBO, by the way, last year, dear God, his numbers are scary. 142 games, 23 home runs, 113 ribbies, a 349, 421, 575 clip with an OPS just south of 1,000. KBO numbers, they're pretty much like double A in Major League Baseball. You never know how a KBO person is going to pan out but that's a wild card for you right there and of course i'm not going to touch the pitching gap because we know that's going to be great and we'll get into it shohei otani that is the big one it was going to be him and manny probably duking it out to see who would get more money spoiler alert it was always going to be shohei otani but they both definitely wouldn't be signing with the same team so it'd be interesting to see how they would have played out maybe one would have gone to one new york team and then the other would have gone to the other but now all eyes are going to be on shohei otani if he doesn't work out an extension with the angels and it doesn't sound like he will and rightfully so because they've done nothing so far in terms of a winning pedigree they're bringing in the most like they're building their most expensive roster yet but that doesn't always translate to success it's a good sign it shows investment by ownership which i'll give moreno that i never give him credit but i'll give him credit here i would strongly advise shohei otani not to resign with the angels if the angels do not get off to a good start in the first half i'm gonna be honest this is something that just came to my mind tom how much you want to bet this mad spending spree the Angels went on this offseason getting Hunter Renfro and Tyler Anderson and Gio Urshela and the other name that I'm absolutely blanking on right now. Well, either way, this big shopping spree to get all these free agents and trade pieces is just a vain effort to show Shohei Otani, hey, look, we can make a good team. I just bought one. And the second it cracks down at the seams, he's going to see through it. I mean, who knows? Maybe it won't crack down. Maybe it'll go crazy. Maybe Hunter Renfro will hit 40 home runs. Maybe Gio Urshela will be that answer at shortstop or second base or third, wherever they play him. I don't know. Maybe they DH Rendon. He's also a wild card. What if Rendon gets hurt again? What if Trout gets hurt? God forbid, what if Shoei himself gets hurt? Like, the way I look at this, I don't think he's going back to the Angels. I really don't. I know Mike Trout said, like, oh, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep him here. And Mike Trout, like one of the most affable guys in baseball from pretty much everybody you could possibly hear from, I don't know how much persuasion power he's going to have when the thing he's trying to sell Shohei on is an atrophying Angels team. If you want my guess, he goes to the Dodgers. I know that's the easiest answer possible, but they did nothing in free agency this year. Hint, hint, to save money on a potential two-way phenom hitting the market next year. And two, they're in desperate need of utility hitting, DH hitting, basically. They have J.D. Martinez for this year, and 
I believe he has an option for next year if memory serves, but if he doesn't work, even if he does work, you're not just going to pass up on a generational talent in Shohei Otani and then just not plug him in the rotation also with Bueller, who will be healthy at the time, Tony Gonsolin, potentially Clayton Kershaw, and Julio Urias. That one through five, like those four I mentioned plus Shohei, that's the best rotation I've ever seen. Like, I'm not going to pull any punches. That is a, that is five aces right there, and that's incredible. Now, the big thing is, I will just get into the pitching right away, too, because some of the names you mentioned are going to be on the free agency market, and they are not going to be able to sign all three of them if they get Shohei Otani. In addition to Otani, the other pitchers, by the way, this is an absurd class, Aaron Nola, Max Scherzer, Blake Snell, Lucas Giolito, bum, Jack Flaherty, <laughs> Luis Severino, Sonny Gray, Josh Hader, as your top reliever who could be getting $100 million. And the aforementioned Clayton Kershaw, but probably more important, Julio Arias. For the Dodgers, they did save money. You can maybe get two, but I guarantee you can't get all three unless Clayton Kershaw is going to give you an extremely team-friendly deal. But for all we know, he can retire. Maybe he goes to Texas because they're probably not going to have Andrew Heaney for more than a year. Or if they do, they're damn near crazy unless he has a good season for once but i mean they can recuperate losses because they have shohei otani and he is worth the price of an extremely good pitcher such as an aaron nola or a julio urias possibly even more than them to be honest with the year he put up last year but it's gonna be tough i do think the dodgers are the clear favorite because i honestly think they could make him the first 500 million dollar man in baseball i'm going to say it right now he very well could be here's how i value it the pitching I think could easily be worth a $250 million contract. From what we've seen, that's the most consistent part of his game that has grown consistently to become better and better and better. The hitting is great. He doesn't play the outfield, but he hits bombs. But sometimes he can be a little bit streaky, I feel like. Although, for the most part, it's always been really good. But I think the bat, just as a DH alone, is easily over worth $150 million. If you want to make it $200 million because of his age, so be it. The pitching is worth $250 alone, I think, and then it's just going to be the bidding war. That's what will push it to possibly $500 million. But we shall see. I am no financial expert at all, so what? take what I say with an extreme grain of salt. But if anybody's going to be the first $500 million man in baseball, it's either going to be Juan Soto for a crazy amount of years for $500 mil, or it's going to be Shohei Otani, or it's going to be someone we don't know about. See, that's the thing. I remember when we were talking about Soto last year, how he denied the Nationals deal and he was eventually shipped to the Padres. And I think we even had a talking point. Can Soto be MLB's first $500 million man? And as much as I think that's a possibility, it, the fact that he gets 500 mil, period, because he turned down, what was it, 450 million from the Nationals? Something like that. Either way, he wants 500. That's clear and apparent to anyone with half a brain cell. I don't know if he'll be the first, though, for pretty much the same reasons you pitched for Otani. I feel like it'd be silly for Otani not to get paid $500 million at this point. He's just worth more than the average player on, for lack of a better term, on average. And if he's fully healthy this year, he shoves on the mound and he rakes at the plate. He's easily going to make $500 million. Look at how many prove-it campaigns players have had recently. Look at what Judge did last year. I mean, hell, look at what Manny did this year with his opt-out. How many players who have bet on themselves, done amazing, and gotten bank 
the next offseason. I think Shohei's easily going to be next in line for that. Whether or not it's with the Angels, we'll see. I just personally will find it very hard to see him as an Angel after this year. He's a walking MVP award. That's the best way you can describe Shohei Otani, because God forbid we know he's going to be in the top five if he doesn't get hurt for probably the next six to eight years, I would say. But that, again, is dependent on if he doesn't get hurt. Luckily, health has been on his side ever since he did win that MVP in 2021, so we shall see. But the first $500 million man, very possible, especially because Juan Soto hits free agency, I believe, the year after Shohei. So he might honestly set the market price, and then maybe Juan Soto goes and resets it. All right, I think that's about as much as we can possibly decipher of next year's free agency class based on what we know right now until more details emerge. So we'll leave it at that, but of course, always stay tuned to the Diamond Duo podcast because if there's anything that happens in terms of transactions, of course, we will be right on it. So moving along down the rundown, we've got a sad story to talk about here, and that is baseball icon Tim McCarver passing away at the age of 81. Tony, I know you'll have something to say about this. I'll chime in a little bit too. I'll let you go first. I know McCarver is well-respected within the game for not only what he did on the field, but if I'm not mistaken, he did a lot of stuff off the field that has made him very revered universally. I honestly think respected is an understatement, and I'll get to that in a second because I'm going to be honest, Tom. I had no idea Tim McCarver had this expansive of an MLB career. He played 21 years in the big leagues. That's insane. You know, his his stats, I I don't want to disrespect the guy, nothing to write home about. He wasn't a bad player by any means, but no, he was a two-time All-Star, played with the Cardinals a bunch. He was actually a two-time World Series champ, both with the Cardinals. After 1969, though, kind of jumped around, played for the Phillies, the Expos, back to the Cardinals, eventually stopped in Boston, ended his career with the Phillies. Very accomplished player, very, very good stats in terms of, you know, from a counting standpoint. But I think what most folks, especially our age, are gonna know Tim McCarver for is that post-playing broadcasting career. Many would argue it's more recognizable than his playing days, as recognizable as they were. He played in almost 2,000 games. McCarver first joined the Phillies broadcast team. I'm reading this off of MLB Trade Rumors, by the way, just for credit's sake. Started with them in 1980, and he stayed with them for a couple of years until he started moving up, and he started doing more nationally televised games with NBC. He would do the Game of the Week. And eventually, he would work his way up to calling World Series games. So this guy was an absolute titan of the baseball broadcast industry. He was in it for a while, too. I'm just going to read straight from this little excerpt here. McCarver would also have stints working on the broadcast teams for the Yankees and Giants, as well as national gigs for CBS and the Baseball Network, precursor to MLB Network. But arguably the most significant development of this part of his career was with Fox, or excuse me, was when Fox acquired the rights for the World Series in 1996. They installed McCarver on the team with Joe Buck, and he stayed there through 2013. So when Joe Buck wasn't giving half-away calls of David Freeze going yard in Game 6, Tim McCarver was right behind him with commentary. His final season with Fox was that 2013 World Series, and after that he would call uh, Cardinals games part-time. It doesn't list here when he officially retired, but he passed away again just this recently in retirement on February 16th. So an incredibly accomplished career, well-beloved in pretty much all sectors of the game. It always sucks when 
a fellow like this, we have to report on someone like this who unfortunately passes away. Just loved by all. It gives me the same sensations when we reported on Vince Scully. Touched so many generations of fans, so many generations of players and coaches and all that. And it just, you know, really bites. We wish the best of Tim McCarver's family, friends, colleagues, everybody. We respect their privacy in terms of the matter. We just wish them all the best. Rest in peace. You pretty much stole anything that I could really say, so I'll just pick on snippets. 18th Major League player to play in four different decades. He started in 1959. He ended in 1980. I know Tony mentioned he played for 21 years, but over four different decades. God damn. Like, if you just made a baseball timeline of who McCarver played with, like the oldest person that he played with there, I mean, that timeline could possibly span back damn near the beginning of baseball, I think you could argue, until today. You mentioned the 23 World Series that he called Ford C. Frick Award winner, which is essentially the Hall of Fame's highest regard for a baseball broadcaster or journalist to the game. He won that in the year 2012. Runner-up for the MVP in 1967. He won. He was an All-Star that year. He was also an All-Star the previous year, 1966 as well. His stats aren't necessarily Hall of Fame worthy. He's in the Cardinals Hall of Fame, by the way. I think it's more or less for announcing, but he was a significant player for them as well. He won two World Series with them. I can go on and on, but I'll probably just repeat myself um, or repeat what Tony said as well. It always sucks when you have these sad stories but at least we can look back and tell the tale of the tape. In this case, you can look at McCarver telling the tale of thousands of baseball players to generations of people throughout the world. You can look back at McCarver and look at his career. You can critique his broadcasting all you want. There's many different facets to not just the career, but the man that Tim McCarver is. And luckily, if you were to write a book about him, it would probably take up over a thousand pages based on the stories that Tim McCarver probably has been able to share and tell and just experience. Rest in peace to Tim McCarver. We wish his family and friends and everything nothing but respect and privacy. All right, now we move on to sunny spring training. The sun has risen all across Florida and all across Arizona, and we finally have the return of baseball, baby. MLB baseball is back. Let's go. It's great. It's only spring training, so I'm going to save my actual hype for the regular season, but I am hyped because... We have new rules in play, Tony, and it's divisive for sure, some of which more so than others, and the first one we're going to be talking about here is definitely probably the most divisive of them all amongst the players, the fans, because of what they're trying to do, who they're trying to cater to, and ultimately what they're trying to do, because there's multiple different goals when it comes to this one rule. And I don't know necessarily how they're all going to mingle, necessarily, because the goals will be met, but at what cost? That's honestly the best way you could describe this rule. The rule we're talking about, by the way, is the pitch timer, the pitch clock. Now, we've discussed all these rules in detail. There's only three we're going to go over at length before when these rules were first announced and set to take place this upcoming regular season. And if memory serves, the pitch clock was the only one I had some semblance of reservation for in terms of how they applied it. I won't spoil the next two, but I'll just say when they were announced, I didn't really, I didn't fret, I didn't bat an eyebrow hardly. It was just kind of, oh, cool, let's see where that goes. This one, though, I don't know. If you haven't seen it, what some 
what some stadiums are actually doing is putting a gigantic timer on the boards behind the behind the catcher, and it's like a little stopwatch. And the long and short of the rule is, it's 15 seconds. The pitcher has to deliver the ball to the catcher when there's no runners on base. When there are runners on base, that time gets inflated to 20 seconds, and you get 30 seconds to get set between batters. And a little extra caveat in there, which is going to be the crux of a little controversy that we'll talk about in a minute. The batter has to be in the box, set, and facing the pitcher at the 8 second mark. So it's really just a 7 second timer for the batter, and the pitcher, the pitcher can get the whole 15. Now Tom... When this rule, like, when it first started, like, I remember seeing a couple tweets right away, like, oh, this is the first time we're seeing the pitch timer, and, like, you know, some folks were saying, oh, the timer's too big. There was, like, a specific broadcast. I think the game was, I want to say it was Mariners-Royals, something like that, or Mariners-somebody, either way, whoever was playing. I don't remember, I was at work. <laughs> um, I just saw, like, the little screenshot on Twitter, and I thought to myself, yeah, that's just a really large stopwatch at the backstop. Like, it's not directly behind the catcher, but it's in perfect view, like, between the pitcher and the batter, so the viewer could see it. But I don't know, as time went on, like, some more negative comments started to show up, like, the fact that it completely takes away the mind games that a pitcher could play with the hitter, and the hitter could play with the pitcher. Maybe it's kind of trying to appeal to the wrong audience. You kind of hinted at that earlier. And I'll dive into that in just a second because I kind of want to, Tom, stop me if you want to say something, but I kind of want to jump into this controversy right now because I think this is kind of funny. I'll set the scene. Tie game, 6-6, six to six, bottom of the ninth, Boston at Atlanta. The bases are loaded for the Braves. There's two outs and it's a full count. This is literally the dream scenario you picture in your backyard i did that when i was a kid like oh bottom of the ninth three men on two men out and here he comes he steps to the plate he sees the pitch actually he doesn't the time ran out game's over i'm not kidding that's how it happened the hitter took too long to get into the box it was it the timer just went from eight seconds to seven seconds the umpire called an automatic strike and because there were two strikes that was strike three, and it ended the game. Now, mind you, it's spring training. Obviously, games like that, can games can end in a tie. But, Tom, imagine if that was a playoff game. Imagine if this is, like, it's 3-2. to two, The score is 3-2 to two in Game 7 of the World Series. It's bottom of the ninth. The home team is about to walk it off, and that's how the World Series ends. I swear to Christ, Manfred would have to go off the goddamn grid to escape the the fury of the fans after that one <laughs> well first of all he might not have to worry about the fans because i think the broadcast companies are going to come for his throat when they realize hey we don't have as long to advertise our stuff anymore we're going to lose some money and now we're going to call for your head and everybody's probably going to agree just so that way rob manfred gets the heave ho from baseball which honestly i'm okay with long overdue exactly but this is weird so Here's what I don't like about the situation before I get into what I understand about it. What I don't like is how the rule is set up. The batter, if you look at that exact situation, was in the box. You can argue he was ready to go. He just didn't look at the pitcher until a half second after the umpire called the automatic strike. Which the umpire, by the way, I cannot fault them. This is the rule they have to enforce. Baseball is trying to make it happen. They're going to be seen as the bad guy, but ultimately it is not their fault. They are doing their job. So I'm not going to give any reservations toward the umpire because guess what? You got to enforce it strictly in spring training. 
So that way it's drilled into the head of major leaguers. So that way it barely happens in the major league level. By the way, they did a study about that in the minor leagues. They said for like the first week or first few games, it happened frequently, and then it happened maybe twice a game or once a game as the season progressed. So it will happen at a less frequent weight, frequent rate. There you go. That's English. <laughs> so that's the good thing. But here's the thing about the situation that pisses me off. The rule is the catcher just has to be behind the box standing or crouching within like nine seconds. I don't like that. The catcher was behind home plate. But he was standing up, not even ready to crouch. Like, he was staring at the pitcher, probably giving signs. But if the catcher is standing, what does it matter? The catcher's not ready. Why does the batter have to look at the pitcher to acknowledge him if the catcher isn't even crouched and ready to go? I can understand it if that's the situation. But where's the double standard? I don't like that for the batter's sake. Obviously, he can't see the catcher. But how fair is that to the batter that the catcher is technically not ready when the batter has to be ready? The catcher should have to be ready first, not the batter. I would like to point that out. And maybe this pitch clock is a little too fast. Maybe it should be 20 and 20 or 20 and 25. But that's a whole different debate for either later in the episode or a whole different day in general. But that's why I don't like about the situation is how it took place. Because God forbid you're right, Tony. If that happens in a playoff game, people are going to riot. Here's my take on it. When I first heard about a pitch clock, I thought it was going to be like the playtimer in the NFL, where there's not really little checkpoints in between. Why can't it just be 15 seconds for the ball to leave the pitcher's hand? The batter doesn't need to be ready at a certain time. The catcher doesn't need to be ready at a certain time. The action just needs to be completed in 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why there need to be these this many clauses in between. Yeah. Like, because at this point, yeah, you're looking out for the sake of the pitcher to have the batter ready first. But what about the batter? Like, what if he's got to adjust himself? What if he's got to, like, take a breather? What if he's got to go- turn to the side and f-ing sneeze? I don't know. Like, this just seems like man for trying to micromanage a game for an audience that already doesn't care about baseball, which this is honestly my big problem with it. Trust me, your bi- your problem with it is a problem. But my biggest problem with it is why they're doing it. Tom, I don't know if this is going to be, I don't want to say a cancelable take, but a take where I'm in the minority on. Maybe it's just because I'm a nerd about baseball, but I love long baseball games. I don't mean like three and a half hour, like 18 inning slog fests where nobody scores. I mean like, you know, when baseball games were three hours and that's something I'll give Major League Baseball. They're accomplishing their goals, sad but true. The average spring training game this year is only two and a half hours, and if that works, then Manfred's not going to care what the fans say, but that's besides the point. I love long baseball games. I love the little intricacies of the mind games that I mentioned earlier, that the batter will play with the pitcher and the pitcher will play with the hitter. I love like the little, the small details of the game, and I feel like this timer is getting rid of that. You're simplifying the game for an audience that doesn't exist, which... Obviously, baseball's just trying to grow the game. They're trying to find that younger audience that's attracted to the NBA or the NFL, which I can respect in theory because wanting to grow the game, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I worry about the execution in doing this because let's be real here, unless something stupid and extreme happens, you're not going to alienate diehard fans with this alone. Like, I don't know, maybe if you start implementing more stuff, like you start using the automatic strike zone or you start using, I don't know, more stuff that hasn't even been theorized yet to simplify or hasten the game. I don't know. I just feel like the pitch clock, it it could work maybe with a little more time and a little less bullshit in between, 
But to me right now, it just seems a bit artificial. It just seems like a way to, again, make a product seem more appealing to an audience that doesn't exist. Pace of play was definitely the problem. And who knows? It did work in the minor leagues. Like you said, Tom, this isn't just something, oh, let's try this for shits and giggles. They tried it at high A ball, I think it was. Then they tried it in higher levels. Now they're sending it to MLB. It's something that's been proven to work. So I'm hoping it works. But as a fan who enjoys the game of baseball and the stuff that most average fans normally don't see, I don't know. I worry the pitch clock might be the death of that. I know I probably sound like a baseball neckbeard saying that, but I don't know. I like that stuff. Well, listen, the baseball neckbeards aren't going to like it, myself included. We don't like change, especially to a game that's really not had change for a while. But every single sport has to evolve. Hockey has evolved to where there's less fighting. There's, you can argue, less physical play that results in more penalties. You can say the same thing about the NFL. The NBA has evolved their game. Like, I'm just thinking of flopping. I know that's not the exact same thing, but they're trying to get rid of the little things to make the game ultimately more enjoyable. I would say for the NBA, I don't know how much it's worked because their new playoff system is stupid, in my opinion. But that's besides the point. Every game has evolved, and I feel like baseball is the one that's evolved the least. And maybe you can say that makes it the most pure sport out there. But guess what? Baseball is not trying to appeal to that pure sport mentality. They're not trying to appeal to those neckbeards like Tony and I. They're trying to appeal to the people that they haven't gotten to watch the game because they think it's too long or there's not enough action. That's because the attention spans of the younger generation, such as myself and Tony, have lessened and lessened. For whatever reason you want to put it, so be it. There's probably thousands of reasons you can conjure up as to why that's the case. But ultimately, they got to try and save the sport that is going to eventually have a sharp decline in audience if they already haven't had that happen to this point. But it's a long problem that it had to reach a boiling point at some point. I just think they're diving into this a little bit too quickly in terms of the pitch clock is going to speed up the game a little too much. But even then, I like long baseball games. I was talking about this beforehand with some other people where it's like, when I'm at a baseball game, I want to be there for a little while, taking the experience and all. But then again, they're not trying to cater to those people. They've already got them in the seats. They're trying to get other people watching at home, not watching at the stadium or getting those people to become attracted to going to the stadium. And ultimately, this can have a cause and effect relationship on many other things. Ultimately, I do think this is the right move because they're trying to shorten the game. This is definitely the right thing. Even the Savannah Bananas, they have a game clock where it's only like a two-hour game at the maximum or something (laughs) like that, for Christ's sake. But their whole game of baseball is completely different because they play banana ball. But at least they're appealing, and it's proven to work where it's enjoyable. That being said, I don't know if changing the game is going to make it more enjoyable because it doesn't even necessarily mean that those players, or not those players, those fans are trying to attract, we can't even call them fans yet, The people they're trying to attract might not still be attracted to it because it's just baseball and there still might not be enough action for them. And if that's the case, (laughs) you're really screwed. But I think your number one problem in conjunction to all of this is the viewing pleasure of the game at home. How difficult is it for you to view the game at home? It's why me and Tony might be working on something where we're going to split an MLB TV package 
because I don't have cable. Tony does. So he has access to some of this stuff I don't have access to. How about if you just make it free access to everything or you put it on an equal playing field and you have to stop doing all this BS crap, then maybe the game would be become more marketable. Maybe it would just be easier to view. You look at the NFL, how every game is pretty much a national game. That works for them. I feel like the NBA doesn't have this issue, and that game continues to grow. MLB is having a problem because people can't view the game all the time. They don't make it accessible to streaming, and that's because they have to cater to the cable companies, such as Sinclair, who I... Mm, and Bally's, but Bally's is going under the shitter, so... Haha, <laughs> sucks to be you, losers. So... I think it's comeuppance in that regard, but that's a whole different podcast. That's part of the whole thing. It's, you can do this to try and attract the eyes, but then those eyes that they might get on TikTok are going to be like, okay, I'm going to go try and watch the game. Oh, wait, I can't watch the game because it's either blacked out or it's not on my streaming service, or even if it is, it could be blacked out. So I can't even watch the game that you're trying to make me watch. That's your ultimate problem, and I will stress that until blackouts are ended. But I don't see that happening because MLB is still too lucrative to everybody. I love the fact that you mentioned that because it seems to me it really drives home the point that Manfred and MLB in general's solutions to MLB's problems are in a completely different sector than where they're actually focusing their efforts. In an attempt to not reiterate what you said, I'll A, make this brief and B, just kind of take this at a different angle. What they're trying to fix is on the field. Some of the stuff they're doing is fine. Like, as much as I complain about the pitch clock, my final verdict on it is really just don't have it interfere with big moments. Don't have this stupid where games are ended by hitters infractions. That's just, that's dumb. It's like having an offsides review at the NHL All-Star game. It's pointless. It, it, it almost, it feels like a punch to the gut after a fierce battle between two teams. It's ridiculous. I'm willing to give it a chance. Just please be open to change after that. But... Tom, you, I think you said it perfectly, the fact that it's going to be available to folks, or sorry, it's not going to be available to folks who will be able to see it. MLB's problems are not operations-based, it's not in the game itself, it's behind the scenes, it's their marketing, it's their production, it's their distribution, it's these bullshit contracts they sign with all those companies you mentioned, like Bally, which, again, haha, f*** you and your scoreboard. Scorebug, rather, <laughs> sorry. I don't know, it, it just seems to me like... For every one step forward that MLB gains, both in reputation with its fans and in the general business sphere, they're taking another two back because of their omission of the obvious problem. I don't know. I Again, like you, I don't see blackouts going away anytime soon, and I'm not some kind of marketing wizard that could just devise a solution to make both sides happy, because quite frankly, at this very moment, I don't know if there is a solution that makes both sides happy. You're either alienating cable companies or you're alienating the consumers. And I hate to tell you, consumers cannot sign you contracts worth millions upon millions of dollars. So, you could probably take a guess where MLB's gonna lay their priorities, and you'd probably be right. I'd love to see them change like that, but for the time being, we're probably just gonna have to stomach this pitch clock BS and what we're gonna talk about in a second until further notice. Although the good news is these next two rules, A, haven't impacted <laughs> spring training a whole ton, and B... I think are fine, largely. Yeah, and the one thing I want to say about the hitters infractions that I meant to mention earlier with the part where I'm going to kind of be blasé about it, where I'm not going to really care in the long run, is that this is an adjustment period, 
But ultimately, at the end of the day, we can complain about the pitch clock and how it could cost a big moment. And I agree 100%. I don't want it to interfere with a big moment. But at that point in the season, everybody's going to have to be adjusted to it. To where, yes, the rule sucks, but you've had a full year to make that adjustment. And you know at that point, if you've had 600 at-bats, that you have to be ready within 8 seconds. So that's going to be the hitter's fault. It's going to be like if the QB doesn't snap the ball off in time. That's their fault. Except you can't call a timeout in baseball. Well, I mean, technically you can, but I don't even know how that's going to work nowadays with batters. Because there's so many new things with the pitch clock that these little minute things, we're going to start to question, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? That's what's changing the game. But ultimately, we'll have all of our answers probably by the middle of the year because every one of them should probably be answered by the middle of the year but we're just gonna have to find out and wait and see about all that stuff before we move on super quick i'm gonna jump to the next rule after this tom do you remember when they first implemented the buster posey rule for catchers (laughs) and we had that hilarious exchange at marlins park where they thought a runner was safe and he was obviously safe but they called him out because he was like out of the base pads or some stupid And the Marlins manager erupted because no one understood the new rule. I imagine we're going to get at least one of those this season. Just a manager that freaks out because he doesn't know the rule with timeouts or the batter's box or the hitter's this or the pitcher's that. And it's going to be hilarious and we're going to talk about it on this show. I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh man, but let's move on to the into the next two rules. I'm going to lump them together just because I don't have a ton to add about these. I just figured we mentioned them. We have the elimination of shifts and the bigger bases that they're using for first, second, and third, not for home. Again, we haven't really seen any tangible differences in the game in, you know, the three days of spring training we've had. But again, we could just, I'm going to throw my points back out there of I I anticipate at least at some point in this spring training, and especially once the regular season comes around, averages are going to go up. Guys who are really pull happy, your Joey Gallows, your Anthony Rizzo's, they're going to find great success. Your Corey Seager's, after, you know, not grounding out to the second baseman for the upteenth bajillionth time. And the thing I want to mention that, Tom, I don't know if we mentioned last time, those bigger bases are going to augment stolen bases. And I'm going to be honest, of these three rule changes, I'm not going to do a super deep dive into it because it's pretty self-explanatory, but I think that's easily my favorite of the three rules, if only because stolen bases are fun, and I'm hoping this incentivizes guys who didn't run a ton last year but clearly have the ability to, to start running some more, because I think it could just make the game infinitely more exciting. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Now, you might be saying, what's three or four inches going to do added to the base? Well, guess what? Baseball's a game of inches. It doesn't matter if you have a pizza box at first base or if you have the old base at uh, first base or second base or third, wherever the hell you want to put it. By all means, those inches do matter at the end of the day, because plays are always bang, bang in baseball, especially you might not think the percentage of stolen bases might go up and maybe it doesn't but for a guy who can barely just muster a stolen base last year they should now have the advantage to where they can steal that base this year and ultimately that's what baseball's trying to do and they're introducing that old school play that all the neck beards such as myself and tony again are complaining that went out of the game the hit and runs and all that Now you can execute some of those things a little bit more. So ultimately, that's a better thing for the game that they're reviving the stolen base. It was a dying art, but now we're seeing it. I mean, if you watched Yankees game, you saw Anthony Volpe. He stole two bases back to back. I think he would have gotten them without the bigger bases anyway, just because he's a freak of an athlete. But my point remains, 
He did that on back-to-back pitches, also because of the new pickoff rule, which has to do with the pitch clock as well, but that one, that's a whole nother controversy that we already just talked about, so I don't really want to revisit that subject. (laughs) That'll incentivize stolen bases as well, where you know that pitcher cannot pick you off, or you know you can get back to first. You could just take a big-ass lead. The catcher could still try and pick you off, and it doesn't count toward anything, I believe. But just go to second base or go to third base. Strategy is being demolished from the game, but that adds new strategy at the same time. So the mind games are going to be there still with the base runners and the pitcher. Just a huge advantage to the base runners in terms of that. And it's also for the player's safety as well, these bigger bases, especially when you've seen a guy's ankles get stepped on. Hopefully now you don't have that. Yeah, that was definitely the number one effect of the rule when they put it in place. One other thing I'd like to add, and then we'll move on. I wonder if this will augment pickoffs. Or, sorry, not pickoffs, pitchouts. The pitchout, if, if you don't know what it is because you're a new fan, it's basically a dead art of the pitcher quickly delivering, throwing a fastball outside and up to the catcher so the catcher could stand up and already be ready to fire at a would-be base thief. If a pitcher knows, like, oh, I've already used my max number of pickoffs, but I know he's going to steal because he's halfway to second pace right now, might as well just throw a pitch out and increase our chances as best we can. I wonder if it's going to bring that back, at least to some extent. I don't think there's any rules hindering that, so maybe that was their intention. And if that was the case, cool. I like pitch outs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, good on them for that. Good on them for that rule in particular. Pitch clock, though, we will see. We'll probably talk about this yeah. later in the season as it goes. We'll be revisiting this topic. <laughs> exactly. The only other thing I have to mention is the no shifts because I've yet to talk about it. I'll just give a quick 10 second take. Matt Olson last year, he grounded out the second base because there was a fourth outfielder. This year, he hit a single right through the gap between the first and the second baseman. Hallelujah, his average will raise by 10 points. Congratulations, Tony. You can be happy about that in the long run. I'm going to be very happy about that in the long run. Matt Olson's success is what wakes me up in the morning. That- <laughs> I thought, uh, so then I guess Vinny Pasquantino's puts you to bed. So, no, wait, no, you have the Italian <laughs> breakfast, so that doesn't make sense. So now we got to have to organize like, these by Matt, day. Matt so who- so who's going to be your number one option in the morning? Who's going to be your side piece in the afternoon? And who are you sleeping with? <laughs> this makes me sound so g- I'm going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to censor that. <laughs> I, 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 you say that like we're not censoring that whole exchange. <laughs> you brought it upon yourself. How did I bring that upon myself? You said side piece at one point. <laughs> Anyone anyone over the age of 12 piece that one together. (laughs) This podcast is now rated PG-13. Minimum. You know what? For censored in the little box of anchor, like censored or explicit, I'm going to put explicit for this one. (laughs) Mild sexual content. (laughs) It'll be like the TV rating, TVMA. This this podcast is now only for mature audiences. (laughs) Goddamn, what a segue. What a segue. We're about to move to our next segment. <laughs> Good luck taking that back. <laughs> Let's just jump to our last segment of the show, Tom. Oh, man. it's We teased it in the beginning. It's the end of the how after they scale. This time we're going to do the National League in addition to the American League. Or not in addition. Adding on to the American League, which we did in the previous episode. We did the 15 teams there. Now we're going to do the 15 National League teams. Just a brief overview of how we're going to do it before we jump right in. In case you missed it, what we're going to do is place every National League team on what is basically a 1-5 to scale on how good their outlook looks, for lack of a better term. 
for 2023. All the way up at the top, at the far left of the spectrum, you have the number one of the scale. Ain't no stopping us now. Very clear, they're in very good shape, go them. Number two, sure up with depth and you'll be fine. You know, they're good teams, maybe even great teams, they just need a little bit more to push them over the top. Number three, right in the middle, rebuilding and retooling. Not exactly the middle point, quote-unquote, it's just kind of where you end up. If you're clearly not competing, you're just building for the future. Trust me, considering some teams in the National League, a lot of teams are going to go here. Maybe not a lot, but I think a good number, more so than the AL. Number four, do you smell smoke? This is for teams that aren't screwed quite yet. They're not quite in hell, but they're getting there. There's warning signs. There's a couple alarms going off. But number five is when all the alarms are blaring because it's a five alarm fire and everything is on fire. These are for the teams that are straight up staring dead in the face of a rebuild. They're just not there yet. I have a feeling we're going to list a few off here as well. (laughs) So Tom, let's say we get started with this and we'll go in the same order as last time. We'll go alphabetically. Ooh. You know what, while you do that, I'm sorry to cut you off, I'm going to pull up last year's uh, scale as well so we could kind of compare them. Feel free to say whatever you were going to say before I so rudely cut you off. Oh, please do that because that's muy importante, although I think I can pretty much rattle some of them off the top of my head. For example, we're starting off with the Atlanta Braves in the National League East, and I can tell you there was ain't no stopping them now in the last offseason considering they won the World Series. So naturally, unless they're going to pull a 2003 or 1998 Marlins, then uh, they will, a World Series winner will always be in Ain't No Stopping Us Now, much as the case was with the Houston Astros last week. Although in their case, to me, they're the best team in baseball right now, so they rightfully have that title. Will they be the only one with that? I don't know, because right now with the Braves... I'm not putting them in Ain't No Stopping Us Now anymore, considering how the mighty have fallen in last year's postseason. They still have a great roster. They're kind of moving on from Dansby Swanson a little bit. They moved on from Freddie Freeman. They replaced him with Matt Olson. This year, they got Vaughn Grissom to fill the gap of Dansby Swanson, and he was great when he was in MLB. So there ain't no stopping them now, but they sure up with depth. I think they'll be fine. I think they just need a few more pieces, especially in that whole pitching core to really show improvement in order for them to take it over the top and be the certified winner in the National League East because that is a very difficult division and there's no saying that three teams are going to make the playoffs from that division again. You see, you kind of got me at a crossroads here because I went into this wanting to put them in Ain't No Stopping Us Now because they won 101 games last year. They're coming off a world, like, in a season where they were coming off a World Series win. So the I don't think the hangover hit them too hard, even though, like you said, they, they kind of got embarrassed in the postseason by the Phillies, and that's really the big thing dragging them down for me. But I don't know. I'm on the fence. I guess you could point to their pitching staff, like you said, as their big question mark. I like their starting rotation of Freed, Strider, and Kyle Wright as their 1-2-3. I think that's great. Charlie Morton as a fourth guy is okay. Number five is kind of a black hole, but hey, the Yankees have a black hole at their fifth at their fifth eh, fifth spot. They'll be okay. Bullpens hit or miss. They got Lucas Litke, so that's already a massive W. They still have AJ Minter. They still have Tyler Matzik and Rysel Iglesias, who I imagine will close for them. But I don't know, man. I kind of want to put them in Ain't No Stopping Us Now. They got Sean Murphy and locked him up. They locked up Grissom. They have basically their entire core locked up until the next decade. 
I don't know. Their biggest question mark in the hitting is obviously Vaughn Grissom and whether or not he'll take that step forward. I don't know if he'll be fantastic, but at least he'll play the role of a good defensive shortstop like he was last year. Ozuna of the Braves is another big question mark. I don't know. I might concede and say sure up with depth if only because of the competition around them. I think them alone are ain't no stopping us now worthy though. Well, how about this? Let's evaluate the... We're going to go a little bit out of order here. Just because I want to evaluate the Mets before we firmly put a grade on the Braves. Because I feel like there can only be one team in this division with ain't no stopping us now. And I feel like it could honestly be the Mets. The Braves went further, I know. And I am a traditionalist in the sense where you have to have that success in order to get there. But you know what the Braves don't have that the Mets do? The piggy bank the size of planet Mars because of Steve Cohen. They have continued to improve their roster tenfold, arguably more than anyone in Major League Baseball over the past few years ever since his emergence. They're only going to get better, I feel like. How much better than 101 wins? I don't know. Maybe another two wins or so. But then again, I forgot Sean Murphy did go to the Braves, to be honest. So I do like their chances now. But... I was going to say, if the Mets made the NLDS last year, I would solely put them in Ain't No Stopping Us Now, just because they were more successful than the Braves last season. To me, when it comes to the Braves, I was disappointed by them getting shelled in the NL wildcard round by the Philadelphia Phillies of all team, which we haven't even mentioned yet. And they were the uh, loser in the World Series last year. But we're focusing on arguably the two favorites of the division. Well, I don't think it's really arguable because, unfortunately for the Phillies, they're great and all. But, I mean, come on now. You're dealing with the Braves and the Mets. I I just don't know. Because of the way they've improved and the way they will continue to improve, I don't know if I want to put them in Ain't No Stopping Us Now. Something's holding me back, but something's also saying push the trigger and just say it. But I want to hear your argument before we solely plant one of them. Because I think, arguably, we could have one of those teams in that category. You may laugh at me. I went into this almost planning to put both of them in Ain't No Stopping Us Now. It's kind of hard to explain. I don't know if there's an exact logistic behind it, but I purely see it as they're at the max they could be. Sure, there are things they could do to improve. Low-key, the Mets, if guys like Kodai Senga and Jose Quintana don't work out, they're definitely going to need starting pitching depth. And the Braves, like I said, if Grissom doesn't work out or the back end of that bullpen doesn't produce like it should. You know, they both have potential holes, but I think both of their strengths, I'm going to be honest, if you ask me, are pretty much equal. I like the Mets pitching better, especially their bullpen. I forgot they got Brooks Raley and David Robertson. That's low-key a top five bullpen in baseball. They're really good in that front. But the Braves, I think they have the slight advantage in the hitting. I really think they do. They have The Mets have a hole at catcher in third base that hopefully Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty can take over, but we don't know yet. I don't know, maybe I'm just being too nice, maybe I've lost my edge, but I, I kind of want to put them both in Ain't No Stopping Us Now. They both look primed to take the division, and it's just, it's going to come down to splitting hairs, I feel like, as to who's actually going to take it. If I had to pick one, I might be partial to the Mets, if only because of that pitching staff. Pitching wins rings, and I truly feel like the Mets offense, even though I think it's worse than the Braves, it's not by much. Still got Pete, Lindor, McNeil, Nimmo, etc. They'll be fine. I think you're starting to sell me on putting them both in Ain't No Stopping Us Now for the sole reason of I want to see Braves and Mets fans go at it. Not that they will, but (laughs) in theory. 
because they finished with the exact same record. The Braves caught the Mets last year. I'm not going to say they trampled them in the second half because both teams played exceptionally well. It's just the Braves played a little bit better than the Mets. But even then, the Braves couldn't carry that success in the postseason. And the Mets looked better than them in the postseason, but they still lost in the exact same round. Now, the Braves have the higher resume, again, being the World Series winner in 2021. But they also locked up their stars. They're kind of keeping the approach of we're just going to extend the hell out of our young guys, whereas the Mets are going to buy them. They're pretty much on an even playing field going into this year. And so I think, honestly, based on virtue of... I, I always like virtuing this on previous success, but I think we have to look at the logistics here a little bit. Here too, Tony, they're on the exact same playing field in different ways, but they're at the exact same point. Because there's no clear telltale of who's better than the other. Like, I feel like we're doing an extreme disservice to the Phillies because I feel bad for putting them because I don't think they're going to be an ain't no stopping us now. To be completely honest with you, that's not the way I'm thinking, but we'll get to them in a minute. I'm okay with actually putting these two teams in ain't no stopping us now. I feel bad for the Phillies, but sorry, you're still not the favorite in the NL East even after what you've done in the offseason. Yeah, I'm going to be honest, dude. I just like the outlook of both these teams a lot. Just because they're in the same division, I don't think that means they explicitly need to be, you know, only one could be ain't no stopping us now. I think both teams are primed for a ton of success this year. Barring any unfortunate injuries, both are going to make the playoffs. And unless they face each other early on, they should both go on some pretty deep runs. Like honestly, a Braves-Mets NLCS, if that's even possible, sounds kind of electric to me. I don't know about you. That sounds extremely electric to me. And there's a lot of teams I want to see make the NLCS, to be honest with you, because the talent level is just that good. But only two can make the last tango, essentially. And last year, it was the two teams we didn't think would make it at all because they were the five and the six seeds in the Padres and the Phillies. So who knows? Maybe they'll uh, there'll be another team that uh, upsets the masses this year. I guess we'll find out. So... I'm going to have to write these down because otherwise I'm going to forget. But both of these teams will just put an ain't no stopping us now. It feels sacrilegious to do it based on how at least I've evaluated teams in the past. But it makes things more interesting in the long run. So you know what? I'm okay with it. Now, you know what a team that hasn't been interesting in the long run is, or at least in the short run so far? That's the Miami Marlins, who are next in the alphabetical order spectrum of the National League East. Clearly, they're in rebuilding and retooling. But what they did last offseason really didn't do them any justice. They won 69 games, nice, and they finished fourth in the NL East by proxy of the Washington Nationals gave up halfway through. (laughs) So I almost feel like putting them in do you smell smoke just because their rebuild has been going on for far too long. But at the same time, I feel like that's harsh because they've got actually good pitching depth. I have to say, they've got a lot of young arms that are promising. They have a reigning Cy Young winner, for Christ's sake. Not that they did anything with him last season, but they at least have the talent. I can't say the exact same for the offense, because dear God, I'd rather choke than watch a Miami Marlins try and hit a baseball, but (laughs) I'm just being too harsh. I'm going to put them in rebuilding and retooling. They got to get the offense going, but something's got to change soon, guys. I'm going to side with you on that. Honestly, I see the Marlins as the National League version of the Royals. For kind of opposite reasons, the Royals have all hitting right now, but no pitching. The Marlins, all pitching and no hitting. Their best hitter going into next year very likely is going to be Luis Arias. Not a bad option, or I guess Jazz Chisholm too, who, by the way, we were talking about this before the show, 
Jazz Chisholm, in his first attempt to catch a fly ball in center field, because I completely forgot that's an experiment they're going to try and go with, uh, he misplays it, and what would have been a routine out became a single. So, oh, good job, Marlins, you f***ed yourselves. <laughs> this could be a mess. Why would they put him in center? Just, listen, Jesus he, Christ. Listen, he did say he'll win the gold glove in center field, so, I mean, we'll, we'll sure. give him... It's only February 26th. So we'll give him some time to adjust, <laughs> but there's more thing, there's more fish to fry in terms of adjustments for Jazz and everybody else in baseball. So I'm sure him moving the center field is going to be the least of concerns. Although he will be more recognizable this year because he is on the cover of MLB The Show, but uh, that's about all he's got going for him. And that's all about the Marlins really have going for them is Jazz Chisholm, exactly. Sandy Alcantara, and hopefully an electric rotation. Moving on, Tony, the Philadelphia Phillies. I kind of spoiled what my thoughts are going to be, so I'm interested to hear what yours are before I fully say why I'm going one way. So I did get a sense of where you were going with it, and I'm going to be honest, I agree with you. But the more I look at this team, I I, I kind of want to draw the line somewhere, and I feel like three ain't no stopping us now is in one division is kind of a bit much. And there's obvious reasons to put them a rung below, which, spoiler alert, I'm putting them in sure up with depth. Like, number one, they only finished with, what, 89 wins last year? I think it was. I don't know. 87, yeah. Their run to the World Series, as fun as it was, definitely seemed a bit luck-based. I I don't want to discredit what they did. They all, like, the team played amazing all postseason, but it seemed very lightning-in-a-bottle-esque. And that's not going to discount what they did, nor what I think they're going to do. I honestly think they're going to make the postseason again. I think they're going to swipe at least one of the wild cards. Who knows? Maybe they capitalize on some Mets and Braves injuries and win the division. Do I, Am I going to bet on that? God, no, because they're going to be without Bryce Harper for half the year, and they have to rely on Nick Castellanos to bounce back and Bryson Stott to develop and Alec Bohm to finally learn how to field. But the good thing is they have Trey Turner. They extended Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jose Alvarado, which we didn't talk about that in transactions. I love that Dominguez extension in particular. Guy was money last season, pretty much became the closer for the postseason, and was electric the entire way through. If the Phillies are smart, he's your closer from day one, and he stops being your closer the second his contract runs out. Starting rotation, a little bit iffy. You have Nola and Wheeler, and then a couple, you know, Taiwan Walker, he's okay. Ranger Suarez, he's okay. And then their fifth guy is Bailey Falter. Yeah, I don't know. I just wait for Andrew Painter to get up. Uh, to Why did I say it like that? Andrew Painter to get up <laughs> and hopefully dazzle in the big leagues. I'm putting him with up with depth. They're a really good team. They're just going to have a lot to contend with. Yeah, I pretty much agree with you. I'm putting them in up with depth as well. I just have my doubts about this Philly team that they can get back to the promised land. I do think they're ultimately a postseason team at this very moment because they have improved which is tough for me not to put them in ain't no stopping us now. But as you mentioned, putting three in the division is brutally difficult to do. Although this would be the division to do it for, I will say that. Now, Tony, last year, did we put them in sharp with depth as well? Because I know you have it pulled up. We did. Gotcha. So I f- <laughs> see this is where I really feel bad because I feel like they did take that step by going to the World Series. They are making the right steps and they're continuing to spend that money. But when I go up and down that lineup and say, can they overcome the Braves and the Mets? My answer is no. And they didn't have to, no, they overcame the Braves. They didn't have to overcome the Mets. They did take on, who was it in the NLDS last year? Who? The The Phillies? Yeah. Was it the Dodgers? Braves. The Braves. 
They were in the D. Yeah. Were they being Braves didn't need to play a wild card. They won the division. Oh, the Phillies. Oh, the Phillies played the Cardinals in the wild card. Oh, yes. Yeah, I forgot forget about that. that. Oh, you're Ollie Marmel's biggest fan? Yeah, great. Yeah, the Braves did make it farther than the Mets last year, except they were more disappointing than the Mets, arguably, in the postseason. So I take back my thoughts. Braves can be an ain't no stopping us now, surely. Um, <laughs> it's tough. I got to put them in sharp with depth. I, I can keep rambling on about reasons, but... I'm just going to keep going back to the same uh, stuff. All right, now we get to talk about the team. If the Miami Marlins weren't enough for you, then prepare for disappointment. It's the Washington Nationals. And as I mentioned earlier, they stopped trying halfway last year. And guess what happens when you stop trying and you trade all of your talent for a rebuild and you only win 55 games? You're on fire, baby. Good job, Mike Rizzo. Yeah, this one's easy. I'm not going to pay this one too much time because the Nationals are not going to be good this year. I'm going to be honest, Tom. They played a spring training game today against the Mets and they put out a lineup that, I'm going to be real, could realistically be their opening day lineup. It was kind of sad. Oh my god, I'm trying to find it now. Here it is. Oh, don't share. It's going to be too devastating. Please, share it. C.J. Abrams, followed by Luis Garcia followed by Mexican legend Joey Menezes. Oh, bench bat legend Matt Adams cleaning up. Let's go. Oh, is, and is this Red Sox legend Michael Chavis, I see? He's on the Nationals? <laughs> okay, Michael Chavis is on the Nationals now. I thought he was still in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Alex Call, the greatest major leaguer. Mets legend Travis Blankenhorn and Tigers legend Derek Hill. Oh, and a catcher, a catcher named Pineda. Israel Pineda. I've never heard of this man. Well, we're going to continue not to hear about him because they've got K-Bear Ruiz in their system. So this is your moment to shine, buddy. Oh, that's a good point. There's one decent player they have if he develops and if Josiah Gray develops. The the one good thing I'll give the Nationals, they've got a killer farm system. They went from one of the worst a few years ago to high key one of the best. Love James Wood, love Robert Hassel and all that jazz, but it's going to be a while before they get to make their impact. Mm. Nationals are on fire. That's pretty much a given yeah and that's especially because the other teams are committed to winning and the nationals are you can consider that small market team that might not put out the money for that talent and especially with how long these guys are locked up they're gonna be on fire for quite a while although they'll probably be in rebuilding and retooling next season this year they just don't spare the uh fire extinguisher Oh, and by the way, Steven Strasburg's arm fell off again, so have fun paying him that contract while Anthony Rendon bounces back in L.A. <laughs> Love you, Steven. You had a great career. Oh my god, I feel so bad for him, and for whoever's paying that contract. Either way, let's go to the NL Central. Oh god. Before we get even sadder, I believe the team we're going to start off with is kind of, it's weird, kind of a question mark to me. The Chicago Cubs, they did a lot in the offseason to kind of patch the holes that were there last season. I don't think they did enough to be a fully-fledged contender yet, which has me teetering on... Like, I don't think they're smelling smoke. I don't think they're on fire. It's We put them in rebuilding and retooling last year. Is it bad that I kind of want to put them there again? Because I feel like... I don't know. They got Dansby Swanson. They lost Wilson Contreras for f- nothing, so that's amazing. They're probably going to lose Ian Happ again for nothing. They got Tyone... They got Cody Bellinger, and they got Trey Mancini. I like their moves. I just don't know if it's enough to put them over the edge, especially with the Cardinals and Brewers in that division. I'm not too sure. Like, my instinct is rebuilding and retooling, but give me your take. I want to see where you stand. 
uh, rebuilding and retooling. We had higher expectations for them last offseason, oh. <laughs> and I'm going to augment them again this offseason with we like their moves. But ultimately, these are not win-now moves. These are we're going to try and cash them in at the trade deadline moves, especially if our team is bad. If our team is good, maybe we'll keep them together and maybe we make the wild card. But ultimately, that would probably be stupid of them in the long term because this is a developmental team. There's a reason why DNSB Swanson did not sign a two-year contract with them. He signed like an eight or a nine-year contract. He's going to be there for the long term, and they're not going to be winning in the short term. Rebuilding and retooling. <laughs> the next team up is the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, God. I'd like to point out the graphic Tom used for this in last year's graphic <laughs> was this losing streak they went on. <laughs> This magical little run. And would you believe they topped that this year? With What What did they go, Tom? Like 3-30? and 30? Something oh, like that at God. the beginning of the year? Something hilarious? That may have been the Diamondbacks, but uh, they the Reds weren't no slouches either. <laughs> That's for sure. They went 62-100 and 100 this year with another team in their division that went 62-100. and 100. That I bet you can surely guess who that was. There's only a few options left. Go on and put your <laughs> answers in now. We're going to see if you're going to find out the right answer coming up real shortly here on the Diamond Duo Podcast. It's either the Pittsburgh Pirates, Milwaukee Brewers, or St. Louis Cardinals. So get your bets in now and oh, see who darn. else Don't make finished. it easy for them. <laughs> well, it's, they may have thought it was the Brewers. I would have thought it was the Cardinals based on the way Ollie Marmol managed in the postseason, but that's another discussion for another day. The Cincinnati Reds, we've officially, I would say, probably taken them out of the everything is on fire range as just pennants of they actually got a good haul for Luis Castillo to revamp that tool system, that tool system, that farm system, and give them a decent shot of actually building for the future. That being said, they have one of the worst owners in baseball who continues to make terrible comments about the state of baseball and his team being a small market. If you hate your team and you hate everybody so much, sell the team, move to Fiji, and no one will ever hear from you again. That's all I have <laughs> to say about that. Rebuilding and retooling. Yeah, I don't really have a ton to add. I was debating putting them in Everything is on Fire solely because this team lost big in MLB's first draft lottery. They lost 100 games, and they're drafting 7th. <laughs> I forgot about that. Get f***ed, losers. They're drafting below the Twins. <laughs> they got a good record last year. That's amazing. I, I love the draft lottery. It's hysterical. Uh, but I'm willing to concede with uh, concede concede with rebuilding and retooling. I much like the Nationals. I love the Reds farm system right now. And granted, it's mostly a f ton of infielders. Like I, I kid you not, their top eight prospects, seven of them are infielders. And granted, no slouch. You have Ellie De La Cruz, Noel V. Marte, Edwin Arroyo, Matt McLean, Cam Collier. A bunch of those acquired in trades. I think the only exception there is Ellie De La Cruz. I really like what they've got. They've got a ton of hitting coming down the pipeline. And even if they need to exchange that hitting for some pitching when the team does start winning, they're more than capable of doing that. They'll be okay, but not for a while. Rebuilding and retooling. Let's jump to the next team we've got, which is the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, we have a interesting scenario here, Tony. This is an 86 and 76 team last year. 
that doesn't know how to execute the trade deadline at all properly and still doesn't know how to build an offense to this very day, even though they have one of the best pitching rotations in all of baseball, which will carry them to at least a few wins. And let's also acknowledge the fact that I don't think we've talked about this on the show, that they can't even keep those all-star pitchers happy. I don't know if you guys saw, but Corbin Burns aired some grievances as to the team. I, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom. He was upset that the team basically blamed him for uh, the team losing out in the postseason last year. You're flashing a thumbs up. I'm right. That's a very low class move. That Corbin Burns is far and away the best player on the Brewers. And if there's anyone you should not piss off, it's him. It's the guy who's going to be hitting free agency sooner rather than later and might want out. Might want to play for a team that knows how to build a proper lineup. Tom, I think Milwaukee's smelling smoke. I was considering putting them in Europe with depth, but the way the Cardinals are on the rise, and even to some extent the Cubs, they're not going to pose any threat to them this year. But the way the NL is shaping up, they're going to finish second to the Cardinals and lose the wild card out to the Mets, or like one of the Mets, Phillies, Braves, Padres. The National League is getting better. The Brewers are spinning the tires. I don't see them getting any better. I like some of their prospects, like low-key, I think Garrett Mitchell is a really nice sleeper pick for Rookie of the Year, but other than that, you have nothing. You have, what are you going to hope, Rowdy Telez hits 35 home runs again? I don't know. They're smelling smoke. I don't don't like this for Milwaukee. I'm glad you were that generous to make them, like, put them possibly in short with depth. I was considering them for everything is on fire, just because of how badly they've screwed the pooch from the last trade deadline to what's happened in this offseason to pissing off Corbin Burns. Obviously, we know where Corbin Burns is going to be, and it's not going to be in Milwaukee in a few years from now unless they give him some we're sorry money. But I completely agree. They are smelling smoke. They are Their stock is on the downward action, especially considering their division isn't strong but the teams in other divisions are only getting stronger. To Even if they do make the postseason, Tony, they are not going to be the favorite at all. We've seen what they've done in the postseason before with this core, and it's not really a whole lot. They made the NLCS when Christian Yelich was on fire, and he was out there winning an MVP, but guess what? Christian Yelich is far and away from that player that he was just a few years back, which is sad to be honest, but it's true. I think there's enough other teams in the National League that are going to challenge the Brewers for that last wild card spot. And ultimately, I think the Brewers could miss out on the postseason. And by then, <laughs> they might be on fire. But for right now, they are surely smelling smoke. And oh boy, it's a lot of it because their organizational failures outweigh their on field failures of last year. Now, I, I threw up a uh, question. Um, a few moments ago that said, which other team in the National League Central finished 62 and 100 last year? And if you had your money on the St. Louis Cardinals, you're a f***ing idiot. It's the Pittsburgh Pirates <laughs> that had that with a whopping minus 226 run differential, by the way, last year. It's not the worst in the league. The Washington Nationals, I believe, own, own that distinction. They do with a minus 252 run differential. But don't worry, the Pittsburgh Pirates are second to last. So they're not that far behind at all. And speaking of uh, being behind at all, I still think they're going to be behind a lot of teams in the National League Central for a while. Because guess what? Andrew McCutcheon's a great story. You can make as many hype videos for Vince Velasquez as you want, or Dick Mountain himself, the living legend. (laughs) 
but those hype videos aren't going to save you from a borderline 60-win season. Rebuilding and retooling, but again, hurry the hell up. All I gotta add is stop lowballing Brian Reynolds. Oh, that too. The guy, the guy wanted what a hundred forty million. You couldn't even give him that. The guy's a potential All Star in center field. He's not the best fielder, but a switch hitting bat like that, Jesus Christ! God, it's almost like they're content with being in a rebuild. Hey, that sounds accurate. <laughs> goddamn, huh. I have literally nothing to add to that. That's why I'm ranting about this. Just goddamn, please trade Brian Reynolds to the Yankees in exchange for Josh Donaldson, Aaron Hicks, and like one of our good outfield prospects. I don't even think the Pirates. Oh my god! That, to be honest, they always screw the peach pooch up so much. Their owners screw the peach gate. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I'll say about Brian Reynolds is he'll get a contract just like Brandon Nimmo. By the way, that was eight for 162 for, so for his deal for like, I think he proposed six or even if it was eight for like 140 or wherever he was, that was very generous. So that is a steal for his talents. Yeah. And they wanted to give him like 80 million. And they're like, yeah, you know what? We want the whole kit and caboodle for him. We want like, we want our own planet. You don't even want to sign him to $80 million. You don't even want to pay him a reasonable rate for what he's going to go for. Exactly. You're just screwing yourself. You're going to be the Chicago Cubs and let him go like Wilson Contreras because you overvalue him and you don't want to pay him, dumbasses. So good job. You're going to swindle yourselves out of a treasure trove that you could get for Brian Reynolds just because you're cheap. You truly are pirates because you're screwing yourselves, Jolly Rogers. Yarg. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals are the last team that we have to evaluate in the National League Central. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love Yarg is the, the note we ended on there. I don't have anything else to add, I just love that. Let's talk about the Cardinals. Yes. Tom, I feel like you, Mr. Prophecy Man, should bring us into this one. Ah, oh, God. Even though the prophecy's dead. Yeah, it is dead. It's uh, dead. I'm actually wearing a Albert Pujols Cardinals shirt from last year to commemorate his 700 home runs. Just out of sheer coincidence, I just decided to wear that today. Uh, the good news, they have Nolan Arenado for cheap compared to what Manny Machado just got, so thank Nolan Arenado's agent. You have a, win- a reigning MVP winner in Paul Goldschmidt. You're going to have an improved rotation, hopefully, for a more sustainable time than you had last year, which can hopefully maybe equate to some more wins than the 93 they put up last year. They also had 69 losses. Nice. You added Wilson Contreras, which is a great move, but ultimately I don't know if he's the best catcher in the league right now, so it's kind of questionable. A lot of people are questioning his defense behind the plate, and obviously when you go from Yadier Molina to Wilson Contreras, yeah, that defense is going to be night and day Yadi. but they have some younger guys that are going to be entering their strides. They do need some more strides from Dylan Carlson. He had a real bad down year last year, but they've got Nolan Gorman coming up. They've got other guys coming up. They're the clear division winner. Yeah, sure up with depth, and they'll be fine. It's definitely not, ain't no stopping us now, because they will win the division, but anything else beyond that is very murky. I'm going to agree with you on this one. My biggest question mark with them is going to be the pitching staff, at least the starters. Bull- bullpen should be okay. Helsley, Gallegos, and Jordan Hicks as your 7-8-9 guys. It's not the worst in the league. You just got to pray Jordan Hicks actually stays healthy and... Ali Marmol doesn't put him in the starting rotation for some godforsaken reason. Adam Wainwright faded hard at the end of last year. I feel like Father Time's going to catch up with him again. I like Miles Michaelis. I like Jordan Montgomery. I don't know what to think about Steven Matz or Jack Flaherty. I guess you could hope Matthew Libertor takes another step forward. Even then, I don't know if he's going to be an everyday contributor. I love the offense. I really do. I think Wilson Contreras is going to be a good fit in uh, St. Louis. 
Outfield, we'll see how it shapes out, and we'll see what happens with Jordan Walker. Maybe he comes up this year, maybe not, but all that's small potatoes. They'll be fine in the division. Sure up with depth, they'll be okay. Now let's jump right to the final division in the NL West. I believe the first team is the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yes, it is. Now, Tom, I'm going to be a bit bullish on them because A, I know you are too, and B, there's obvious reason to be bullish on them. I'm going to give the Diamondbacks the same distinction I gave the Guardians as the only team that last year we gave everything is on fire, and I'm going to bump them up to sure up with depth. Really? I feel like, let me pull up their depth chart really quick, because I feel like this team, I don't think they make too much noise this year, Mm -hmm. but I feel like they're in the same spot as the Orioles, who we also put in sure up with depth. Wait, we gave the Orioles sure up with depth this year? Oh yeah, we did, because they actually had a good year. You're going to have to convince me to put them in sharp with depth because I'm honestly being bullish because I don't want to be spurned like we did last year with two teams that we were overly hyped on and then give the Diamondbacks that same distinction for them to only win like 76 games, which would still be a two-win improvement, but it wouldn't put them in any sort of playoff positioning. I'm going to be honest, I'm going through this and I'm getting kind of iffy myself. I think I was just blinded by how good that outfield could be because I'm going to be real. I think that outfield's going to be one of the best in baseball this year. If they develop right, if you get Jake McCarthy in left, you get Alec Thomas in center and Corbin Carroll in right. First of all, all three of them are fast as f***. You're not, like, they're going to catch everything out there. And I know Chase Field is cavernous as hell, but they'll be able to track them all down. They're all in, like, the 95th percentile of speed and above. All great prospects. Carroll especially is the golden goose in that one. I'm excited for them. We'll see if Cattell Marte could bounce back. Christian Walker, I will forever tout as the most underrated first baseman in baseball. That, I think, is a gimme. I'm kind of excited, too. A guy not a ton of people have been talking about, Gabriel Moreno. Went yard just recently in his first spring training AB. Prize acquired from the Dalton Varsho trade. He's going to be their catcher of the future, and he looks great so far. The rotation needs a bit of work. Yeah, you know, I I think I just convinced myself to take him out of there. (laughs) I'll put him in (laughs) rebuilding and retooling, but only because... Like, there's no middle ground. They're not smelling smoke. They're not on a downward trajectory. They're only going to get better. But they're not at that point yet where, like, you know, their pitching staff still needs work. Their bullpen's still kind of a mess. You know, rebuilding and retooling. After this year and we find out who they really are, maybe the year after that they could take that next step. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's just, it's too early to put them in sure with depth because there's too many question marks on this roster with the young guys. I'm not going to repeat those names. And their future beyond them is extraordinarily ripe with confidence, I guess you could say. Or potential is probably the better word. Now, worst comes to worst this year, they have a down year. They win the same amount of games or they somehow win less. That probably just means Tori Lavella will not be in Arizona next year. That's probably the downside. It probably also means they're going to be trading away some assets, but ultimately if it helps them out in the future, it's for the better. They're on the right track, but it's just a glimpse into the future for Arizona, which is a very bright future. It's just a little bit too early. So rebuilding and retooling. However, if they make a good jump, they could be in sharp with depth next year. And I guarantee you in two years' time, I think they could be a wild card team. I honestly think that. Give them two years, I think they will be a wild card team. That's my bold prediction. But we'll see if that comes true. Now, the Diamondbacks have a really great future. Let's talk about a team with a really rocky future, if you catch my drift. Uh. <sighs> 
the Colorado Rockies, the 68 and 94 win or whatever. The 68 and 94 <laughs> team, they suck. They had a, a run differential of minus 175 and they play in the most hitter-friendly ballpark known to mankind. They went 41 and 40 there last year. Congratulations. You know what you did on the road? You had a 27 and 54 record. Great job, idiots. Only the Kansas City Royals had a worse record by one game on the road. And you decided to follow that season up with doing absolutely nothing of notoriety this offseason. You didn't even trade an asset or two away to try and build up your lackluster farm system. You didn't even tell Chris Bryant, hey, recruit a buddy to come out to Colorado. You know, Brandon Nemo, he would have been great to shore up our outfield, but no, we let the Mets resign him. And more importantly, you have Chris Bryant on this terrible deal that you signed him to, and he barely played 40 games for you last season. And by the way, you're in the National League West, where the Diamondbacks are on the rise. You're going to be in mediocrity for a while. The Giants are falling, but I think they'll ultimately climb back once they buy into a superstar or two, if they can ever do that. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention you have the Padres and the Dodgers in your division. You're going to be rotting in hell for a while. Everything is on fire. A four-alarm fire. Now, Tom, before I inevitably agree with you and say everything is on fire, (laughs) come on. They made moves this offseason. They got... Pierce Johnson. Colorado native Pierce Johnson. How can I forget? Give him some credit. Now they have another guy to share the bullpen with Austin Gomber, giving up home runs like they're candy on Halloween. Yeah, everything is on fire. Like, this is the perfect team to, I guess, compare a rebuilding team with an everything is on fire team. Like, the Reds are in rebuilding and retooling and not everything is on fire because they have good prospects and because they have an upward trajectory right now. Outside of Zach Veen and Ezekiel Tovar, there's nobody for the Rockies to look forward to. Oh, and by the way, both of those names I mentioned are hitters. The Rockies don't need hit. Okay, they do need hitters. They need everything, <laughs> they but need everything. they need pitchers. They need guys who don't give up home runs in Coors Field, which is much easier said than done. And when is that going to come about? I genuinely don't know. So if you have no discernible future, everything is on fire. The Rockies are f- They're going to be f- for a while in that division, like you pointed out too. And one of the principal reasons they're going to be screwed is the team we're going to talk about next, the LA Dodgers. Yeah, uh, they're pretty good, aren't they? I struggle to gauge the Dodgers a little bit because they're not the world beaters they were last year. They lost some key pieces. They don't have Trey Turner anymore. Their bullpen's kind of a mess. Or I, don't know, I wouldn't call it a mess. It's just we don't know who the closer is right now. And there's a couple positions that you just... You don't know how they're going to pan out. Is Miguel Rojas going to be the solution at shortstop or second base, wherever they play him? He did leave today's game, which that's not a good sign. And honestly, I don't know how to feel about their outfield. They've got Mookie Betts, obviously, but the rest of it, you know, David Peralta could play left. They have Chris Taylor still. And I like the addition of J.D. Martinez. I think he's going to be really good as a DH, but I don't know. It seems, Tom, call this sacrilege. I don't know. I want to put them in Ain't No Stopping Us Now because they're the Dodgers. There's no reason to believe they're not going to win 100 games again. But then you look at this roster, I see more holes than I've seen on the Dodgers roster in a while. Am I crazy for wanting to put them in sure up with depth? Because I feel like they need a little bit of depth. You're not crazy, but here's the thing. The Dodgers know 
how to play the market extremely well because they can afford any player they want if they want to trade for somebody and they have arguably one of the best farm systems in baseball and they still can churn out prospects for days they also won 111 wins they won 111 wins they won 111 games last season and god damn they put up a plus 334 run differential meaning they not only won games they were crushing people in some of these games being that they didn't really have to search that far to crush people the only reason i'm putting them in ain't no stopping us now is because of those 111 wins and because i think ultimately if they face the padres or somebody else in the playoffs this year they'll fare a little bit better in the sense that they just lost in the ds and they got embarrassed maybe they'll come back and play with a little bit of fight but then again that's 162 games away plus a spring away so we don't really know but this is also the dodgers and i can never underestimate that they will be successful it's just how successful but if we're going to put the braves in the mets and ain't no stopping us now it's almost sacrilegious to leave the dodgers out I think we have to include them in that highest category. I do agree with you on the depth, but they always find ways to shore it up. All right, you sold me. They'll be an ain't no stopping us now, even if they're not in their best shape going into the season. Let's jump to, I almost called them little brother. They're not really little brother anymore. The San Diego Padres. They're kind of a tough team to gauge because I don't know if they've done enough to be put in Ain't No Stopping Us Now right away, because Tom, if you remember, we had them smelling smoke last year, and and understandably so, they had a monumental collapse, they didn't make the playoffs after thumping their chests and doing this whole Slam Diego bullshit. Now they casually turned it around and did it without Fernando Tatis Jr. They made it to the LCS somehow. And they've arguably gotten better since by extending Machado, by securing the pitching staff. They had Josh Hader in the bullpen now. They didn't have him this time last year. I don't know. I'm obviously much higher on the Padres now than I was last season. And they have Matt Carpenter now. That must be, that must be a good <laughs> sign. They're going to get Tatis back this year. They have Juan Soto now. Like, bare minimum, they're sure up with depth. That's plain and simple. I kind of want to hear what you have to say. I feel like I'm going to end up settling on sure up with depth, but I want to hear your argument first. Well, first off, I love that you only acknowledge Matt Carpenter as the only American League East player, formerly American League East player, that they acquired oh, in the offseason because they also got a guy named Xander Bogarts. But oh, um, Matt Carpenter, he was their biggest <laughs> get. Yeah, he was the big bopper that they got. That mustache is sexy, but what's even sexier is their payroll. Again... They're willing to spend, and I fully believe that they're invested in winning now. Now, that being said, in the regular season, they only won 89 games. They were a borderline playoff team for a while. They kind of snuck in there a little bit at the end. They were 22 games back of the Dodgers with kind of an embarrassing plus 45 run differential, given the talent on that roster, although it was depleted for a while. We have to keep in mind, Manny Machado pretty much willed this team on his back for probably at least two months of this of last season. I love what they did with how they've been investing in the Stars to where I think it's easy to say they should win more than 89 games this year. I think they're hovering at least around 95, if I'm going to be honest. And they also made the NLCS last year by conquering the biggest devil that's been holding them back, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And guess what? The Dodgers aren't as scary now. Because they not only beat them, but the Dodgers are going to be worse this year than they were last year. If we're putting them in, ain't no stopping us now. 
If you're going to invest just like the San Diego Padres do, then congratulations, you fully sold me on Ain't No Stopping Us Now. I have my reservations, but this team is too talented, I think, not to put them there because right now they're invested in winning, not getting the depth. They already have that. It's go time. They just need to prove that they can take the next step and make the World Series. As much as that argument's kind of convinced me, there's one key player I forgot that's convinced me for Ain't No Stopping Us Now. Who's that? Steven Wilson. Oh, the, the legend greatest. himself. How do I forget? How did we go an entire, almost go an entire segment without talking about the greatest relief pitcher on the planet? Yeah, no, Steven Wilson pushes them over the top. Is there a better category than Ain't No Stopping Us Now? God, just give him the piece of metal already. It's great. I love this team. <laughs> but real talk, though, I'll concede to that. Especially, they. I like the fact that they addressed their lack of power last year with getting Nelson Cruz, plus they're getting Tatis back, which I already said. So, before I repeat myself again, how's about we move on to the final team in this little scale in the San Francisco Giants? Tom, when we last saw the Giants, we put them in sure up with depth after a 107-win season. <laughs> and guess what? We were proven right. <laughs> How the money have fallen. <laughs> yeah, I can't see myself putting them there again. Again, though, unless I, I'm going to take a look at their team really quick, because I honestly forget some of the moves they've made. Maybe I just maybe I'm not forgetting anything, but I don't know when your third baseman is David VR and your shortstop is a decaying Brandon Crawford. I don't know, Tom. I've got my reservations about this team. Like they still got Jock Peterson. They signed Mitch Hanniger. They had Carlos Correa for a little bit there. They signed Michael Conforto when Correa inevitably fell through. I like their starting rotation low-key. It's not the best ever, but I like Logan Webb. I like Alex Cobb. Ross Stripling is a nice piece. Shaw Manaya and Anthony DiScalafani are good bounce-back candidates. Low-key, their bullpen is nice. Camilo Duvall's a great closer. They have the Rogers brothers and Jacob Junis. The pitching should be okay. Emphasis should be okay. It's the hitting that worries me about this team. With the Dodgers and Padres surging like they are, and even the Diamondbacks creeping up there, I don't know. I feel like the Giants' ceiling this year is third place. That's practically a given. And after that, when the Diamondbacks get their shit together, their ceiling is going to be fourth. So I fear the Giants might be smelling smoke. I think they're going to be fine in terms of, you know, compared to the Rockies. I don't know. But they're not going to be great. And it's going to be a while before Luciano and Kyle Harrington, I believe is their top pitching prospect's name. It's going to be a while before they get to the big leagues. So for now, I have them smelling smoke. I was actually going to agree with you here. I don't know why I said I was. I am agreeing with you here. They're no longer in sharp with depth, and you're fine. If you go from 107 wins to 81, yeah, you're not sharing up with anything. You're retooling at this rate. The thing that took it over the edge for me was not only the third place ceiling for them, but it's also because of what happened in the offseason, or rather the lack of what didn't happen in the offseason. Sure, they improved, and I like the depth they added with Mitch Hanniger and company, but you missed out on Aaron Judge, thankfully. Thank you so much. I, I really do appreciate that. Maybe I'll actually <laughs> give you some bonus points for that one. But you also missed out on Carlos Correa, the two superstars you wanted most. Now, yes, Carlos Correa has a bum ankle, so I'm not faulting them for that, but this was the year they were supposed to get a superstar to bolster that lineup that they desperately needed and even then i'd still say there were a few pieces away but at least then they wouldn't be smelling smoke they'd have a clear direction it's they want to win but now we just need to add the depth around that guy 
You don't have that guy right now unless you develop one or for some reason Joey Bart decides to become the next Buster Posey or better. But I don't see that happening at this rate. They're smelling smoke because that future is very, very murky. And I could say it's very, very foggy because it's also the fog city out there in San Francisco. That's a terrible pun, but go look at their city edition jerseys and you'll know exactly where I'm getting at. Foggy future for the Giants. They're smelling smoke. Well, anyway, that'll just about do it for the, uh, I almost called it the ain't no stop in a scale. That's wrong. The how after they scale for the National League. And that'll actually complete the full MLB ranking of the how after they scale. Be on the lookout for some graphics coming sometime whenever we feel like putting them together. Um, and if we're carrying the traditions of last year, we've also got little paragraphs explaining why we put each team uh, where to go to social media. So can't wait to write those. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see if we we'll write those. those. Twitter now has a much higher character limit, so I could feel inclined to do that. But also, mm -hmm. I hate Twitter, and I don't know if I want to type out those paragraphs. So we'll see if we do it. Eh, at the I'm very at work, we'll see. Yeah, at the very least, there will be something there that says why we did it. It's not going to be the full explanation. You heard it here. So do you need to see it again in writing? It'd probably be nice, but then again, it took me an hour to, like, type all those paragraphs into Instagram, only for it to crash and burn on me at, like, two points when I was posting the six different posts. So, oh. yeah, you know Lovely. what? I, I don't know if I want to go through that pain again. But that's a future problem that we don't have to worry about. You're right. All we've got to worry about right now is closing out the episode, which, hey, the recording actually ran a little longer than usual. This is new, except it's not. Hey, remember when we said this was going to be a short episode, Tony? <laughs> we say that all the time. I've come to expect it. <laughs> I mean, hey, at least it was a good one. Spring training's finally back, so mm -hmm. god damn it, I'm hardly one to complain. And we finished the scale, and this time next week we're going to be talking about the World Baseball Classic again. Oh. So, this is going to be fun, dude. We're coming down the stretch. We're going to get back to weekly uploads eventually. Dude, baseball's almost back. So, I'm happy. I don't know about you. Oh, you sure bet I am. And... Like Tony said, next time, not next week, because we don't have an episode next week because we're still on the off-season schedule. But I two, said next week, didn't I? Yeah, you did. But two, at least two weeks from now, or by the time you're listening to this episode, within a two-week time period, you will be getting an episode all about the WBC. Of course, if anything in MLB happens, we will cover that briefly, but we promised a World Baseball Classic-centric episode, and we are going to to deliver we're going to be working on how we're going to exactly function that if it's going to be more educational and all that stuff but you'll just have to wait and see and i think by the time we're recording the tournament would have already begun so it'll kind of be in the thick of everything so we'll see how we approach it but as we are building that episode we'll get a better idea of how things go um as time moves along but just know the next episode will definitely have a lot of World Baseball Classic content, and probably the one after that as well, unless we decide to go weekly, but I don't think that'll be possible at that rate given I'm looking ahead at my schedule. So, we will go weekly come April, probably not in March. But until then, Tony, do you have any departing words for our dear listeners? Not entirely. Just enjoy some spring training games. Go pirate someone else's MLB.TV account for legal reasons. 
you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to pirate stuff, honestly, just go find a website that'll uh, work for you. Oh, I'm not going to say that. Cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. You, Great note to end on. You can keep the website part where I say go find a website that works for you. Please cut out the other. I'll just part. I'll just start censoring it. I'll just throw in a little beep like an elongated one. Oh yeah, that won't make make me sound suspicious at all. Oh no, definitely not. Hundred percent. Got you know what? Right. this is perfect. This is my last thought. Please sign this out. <laughs> Well, before I say more possibly incriminating stuff on myself or just anything that will make you think less of me, even though your opinion of me is probably very low to begin with, let's wrap up this episode of the Diamond Duo Podcast, the 56th rendition of said podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram at Diamond Duo Pod for more content, show updates, anything of that nature. Until next time, I did it the last time. I'm going to say it again this time. Make sure your week is filled with peace, love, positivity. Until next time, make it... Uh, I always butcher the goddamn ending of this. I have it so planned out, and then I screw it up. Just end the episode. I'm, I'm not even going to give you a goodbye.